Welcome to episode 115 of the Property Nomads podcast. Uh, today we are very lucky to be joined by Jessica Malone, uh, also known as Soccer Sabbatical. And we're going to be doing a lot of talk about football and travelling. What we're trying to do on the Property Nomads podcast as well is introduce different elements, different topics. Yes, we're predominantly known for property related content, you know, books and so forth and interviews. But with our values being travel, prosperity and network, we're starting to dive off a little bit to a few more random topics. You know, last week talking about a little bit about history, a lot about Istanbul itself and how to monetize your podcast. So some practical information with some travel information. This week it's all with football, all about traveling. It's great to get the feedback from you, uh, either good or bad. We don't mind. We're here to help and serve you as, as best as we possibly can. We just like trying out different things. So if there's some things you want to hear on the podcast, moving forward, again, let us know. Connect with us on the socials or email me at rob at tpnpodcast.com. And at the same time, if this is something you don't really enjoy listening to, then not a problem. Again, let us know. We want to try and provide as as much content as possible and as big a variety of content as possible. That's where we're at. This episode is going to be Really, really cool. As I said before, it's with Jessica Malone, who has taken multiple trips around Europe and uh, South America as well to see so many different great stadiums, to see so many players. She quit her job that she'd been in for 10 years and really pushed herself to go out and about and, and take advantage of these, you know, almost once in a lifetime experiences. Great thing about Jessica is that she is a fanatical fan she's very very knowledgeable and there are so many stories uh, to go through so i hope you enjoy this and without further ado enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with jessica malone jessica welcome to the property nomads podcast this is gonna this, this is gonna be an awesome conversation we're gonna deep dive into you know football or soccer and a, a lot of sort of traveling aspects as well thank you for your time today yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. You're pretty cool because you've traveled or you've traveled to um, over 13 countries on a particular plan that you, you followed. You've seen over 60 football matches. Uh, I'll start from the very beginning. What got you into football in the first place? And, and then why did you decide to then go and travel the globe and, and watch so much football? Great question, uh, especially for an American woman. Um, I played football growing up just kind of as something to do. My dad coached my team, um, certainly nothing competitive, just a hobby. Um, but I really got into it in the 1998 World Cup, I think because um, it was summertime. I was going into eighth grade at the time. There was not much to do where I grew up. And it was just the perfect television spectacle for someone like me who didn't have a passport, had never left the country. It's the right age for it to just open my eyes to all of these different countries, all of these different players, seeing France um, itself and the host cities. I, I was just completely engrossed in the tournament um, and really took on kind of this obsession with it, uh, which then led directly into the 1999 Women's World Cup, which was here in the United States. Um, and I was able to attend some games of that tournament and, of course, with the United States winning that tournament, it really solidified my complete obsession with the sport. 
That's nice. That's that's good because everyone always starts differently. Sometimes it's you might get yeah. taken to a game by one of your family or or something like that, and uh, yeah, right place, right time. Especially that women's team. Especially, I mean, they're still great now, but at the end of the nineties, they were pretty formidable, weren't they? Yes, I. <laughs> the most intense game I have ever been to was the nineteen ninety nine Women's World Cup quarterfinal here in the DC area where I'm based now. Um, the U.S. women actually went down to Germany, including an own goal, but were able to come back and win it. And I had been to a D.C. United game in MLS before in the late 90s, a, a game or two. But that was the first moment when I thought, oh, my God, the sport is insane. I was so anxious. It just seemed cruel to be losing that game. My mind could not comprehend what it would mean if we lost. And to turn it around and just have the ecstasy of winning and then going on to win the tournament was it was unlike anything i had ever experienced before in my life nothing beats a feeling of winning at sport yes in terms of so from there so obviously that you know from there you've ignited that sort of passion you, you know you're loving the game then you went to mm-hmm. work for 10 years and then all of a sudden you handed in your notice and sort of quit your job why what yeah. what led you to that and then what led you to then embark on this uh, excellent journey that you undertook i had always dreamed of someday being able to go to these places these stadiums these countries um, and hopefully to games themselves um, around europe or south america but it seemed so far off when i was younger um it you know i, I didn't get a passport until i was 19 um and so it to kind of put the two together, it just seemed like something I would never be able to do. Um, but in, I think around 2013, I started traveling around the United States for our men's national team world cup qualifiers, which is if any of your listeners or football fans will know it, the United States does not always qualify for the world cup. It's not a given. So the, the qualifying matches that we play in the United States are a big deal. And people who are dedicated national team fans generally try to travel to those. So I had, I started traveling domestically to go to games um, and my line of work, uh, I work in environmental consulting, but I'm a geologist by trade. Um, when I, I know you just did a podcast about geology, I was listening to it a bit last night um, to get a, get a feel for the podcast, but I, I was working rotations where I would be working a few weeks on and then have a few weeks off. So sort of freeing up some time where I could potentially travel. And in 2017, um, I decided that I wanted to go to the U.S. World Cup qualifier in Mexico City at Azteca Stadium because um, they had just announced that the World Cup field would be expanding. And so I knew that there were only going to be two more qualification, well, one more qualification cycle in addition to the 2017 one in which that game when the U.S. played Mexico at Azteca Stadium would be so meaningful um, because eventually, you know, more teams from our conference would be able to get in. It wouldn't carry the weight. So I just thought, if I don't go to this now, I don't know if I'll be able to go in four years. It's now or never. So that was the first time I traveled internationally for a match. Um, so that was 2017. And that sort of led into um, me realizing, you know, this thing that seems kind of scary and intimidating, um, which any if you've read up on the U.S.-Mexico rivalry at all and what has happened in the past at games in Mexico City, it's one of the, one of the more intimidating games to go to for a U.S. fan. Um, unfortunately, it was totally fine. There were no, no incidents to speak of. Um, it's all kind of it, – it has been um, made a lot safer than it used to be in the past now that more eyes are on it. Um, but I thought, hey, that's something I never thought that I would do in my life. I just did it. 
Um, and at the time I had signed up to run the Berlin Marathon in Germany at the end of September. And I started thinking, okay, if I'm going to go to Germany, I, there's no way I'm going to go and not go to Bundesliga games. So I kind of lined up some one of my off rotations from work to be able to get to some Bundesliga games. Um, and I, one of my friends at the time in Denver, where I was based, was looking at going to England in September as well to go to some games. And we kind of made a deal where I said, I'll come to England and go to games with you if you come to Germany and go to games with me. So we turned it into basically a three-week trip. Um, which included our first championship games, our first Premier League games, first Champions League games, first Europa League game, and first Bundesliga games. So that was how it all started. Um, and after that, in the fall of 2017, I, I ended up going to Russia in 2018 for the World Cup. Um, and then I did another trip to go to some games in England and Germany in the fall of 2018. Um, so by the time in 2019, I, I kind of realized that I needed to quit my job. Um, you know, I, I hadn't planned to quit. I didn't have anything lined up. I didn't have another job. I quit at the beginning of April or put in my notice at the beginning of April. And I had already committed to going to France for the Women's World Cup in June. So I thought, okay, it probably doesn't make much sense to try to find a new job or set up job interviews between mid-April and early June when I was was going to leave the country. So I just thought, what if I just um, travel around Europe, go to some of these stadiums that I've never been to, um, go see Messi play. That was kind of the at the top of my bucket list along with seeing um, Serena Williams play. And I had already planned to go to the French Open um, while I was in France. So I knew that I could probably get that done. But I thought, OK, I can I can go see Messi play so I started thinking about it and um before I even handed in my two weeks notice I bought tickets to a Barcelona game and a ticket to Roma against Juventus um, at Stadio Olimpico in Rome as sort of a, a commitment to say you have to hand in your notice because look what's waiting for you on the other side um and it's important to note that at the time I I was traveling so much for work that I actually was not living anywhere permanently myself all of my stuff was in storage at a friend's house. So um, when I quit my job, I had been living in a mine in Nevada and I knew I would either have to find a place to live or go backpack around somewhere um, until the World Cup and then figure it out after. So I kind of had 10 weeks of which I knew I, I wasn't responsible for anything other than doing what I wanted, um, which was a perfect way to kind of heal from having to quit my job unexpectedly. And I just thought I'll figure it all out later for now, just go and indulge and do, <laughs> do exactly what you want to be doing, which um, I was 33 at the time. And, and it's really rare <laughs> to be able to get kind of a mid career break like that and do something like that. Yeah. Wow. That's a, a lot, a lot of football there to, a lot of football there to cover. We're oh, going to, yeah. <laughs> we're going to dive into some stories, I think in, yeah. in a bit as well. So in, in effect, the, the, the pull of or the attraction of watching these games, seeing these stadiums, seeing these teams far outweighed um, where you were at the time in your personal life. So you just yeah. made that judgment call of, if I don't do it now, I'm probably never going to do it and just done it. Yeah. Well, I knew I knew I was I had to quit my job there. That was its own thing. And then it was a matter of, OK, well, what do I do now? I don't. I don't have a place to live. I don't have a job. Um, I have some vacation time that I'm getting paid out. I know that I have to end up in France. And so essentially I just changed my flight and I had done enough traveling for football by then that I knew how to do it. I knew what I could handle. I knew how to 
get the tickets or figure out, you know, what I could do ahead of time, what had to wait until I was there. So it really brought, you know, for the every day after work when in my last two weeks at my job, I was busy planning, booking trains, booking flights, getting tickets, um, and trying to figure out logistics and stuff like that, which I, I love travel logistics and to be coupling it with something that brings me so much joy. It really, you know, it just distracted me from everything else that was, was going on in my personal life, which was a huge event of leaving my, my job of 10 years. So, um, it really just spun into something extremely positive. I'm glad you said that you love travel logistics because having, you know, listened to what you've, you've just said, one of the questions that I had in my mind was, was, was it really well planned? Cause sometimes when, sometimes when you're <laughs> traveling, um, uh, you know, my business partner and I, we, we went traveling in the, the main bulk of traveling we done was in 2014, 2015. So we'd gone to the world cup in Brazil, mm-hmm. which just phenomenal, absolute phenomenal. Oh yeah. Uh, and from there, we, we didn't base the trip around for, I mean, we, we went to the world cup in Rio. Yeah. We stayed there for six weeks. That was fine. The rest of the trip, we, Oh my God. Oh, it was, Amazing. Yeah. So uh, that's a whole different podcast in itself. And uh, in fact, no, we're writing, we're writing some travel memoirs at the moment about that as well. So uh, yeah, that'll be, that'll be good fun to release them. There's a lot of stories there that we realize we haven't told people. Um, but yeah, anyway, we, um, but from there, we kind of based the trip around, you know, just general having fun, visiting places we wanted to see. We hadn't really thought of football. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we found by using uh, soccerway.com, I don't know if you're familiar with that website, that we end up in, oh, I don't know, for example, we ended up in Montevideo in Uruguay, just randomly traveling, yep. not whatever, <laughs> uh, jumped on the website and said, like, oh, Peñarol are playing at home in the Copa Sudamericana. <laughs> I was like, well, it would be rude not to. Perfect. So I, if, maybe, maybe that's South American football, I, I don't know, but why did you decide to... Um, apart from the fact you love travel logistics, why did you decide to sit down and, and plan it that way? Was it just to get as much out of your time as possible? Were there other underlying reasons or was that just how you wanted to do it? Um, so I did a few over the course of six months. I basically did two months traveling. Um, in I started in Spain, then went to Italy, uh, stopped in Budapest, and then ended with a month in France during the World Cup. Then I came back to the United States for two months and knew that I wasn't done yet. I kind of thought, okay, once again, if, if I don't do these things now, when am I going to do them? So I decided to go back to um, the UK and Europe and then eventually South America in the fall. So I, I went abroad again in September and October. Um, so it was kind of two different trips that I planned. And then during the two months I was home in the United States, I also was going to MLS and NWSL games. Um, so part of it is just that the sport brings me so much joy. Um, I want to see the stadiums. I want to see the teams play. I want to see as many players play that I can, um, which is kind of a, that that essentially is known as ground hopping, um, which there's an app <laughs> for that as well, that basically will, you know, it'll tell you any game that was uh, is within a 100 kilometer radius of where you are and you can track all your games and things like that. So that was part of it, but it, you know, it's not a competition or anything like that. Um, I had traveled through work, um, mostly through the mining sector to places like Panama and Zambia and had just gotten this bug for going to see new countries, learning what they're all about. Um, and even at that time, it was still, I still was viewing it in some ways through a football lens. That's how 
that's my biggest way of connecting with people. And I knew you could set me down anywhere in the world and I could probably find a connection with someone over football, even if we don't speak the same language. Um, so that was a motivator to be able to go to places like Spain and Italy. When I started watching football in the late nineties, Syria and Italy was the best league in the world. And so I knew I was like, I have to go see Roma play. I have to get to the uh, San Siro stadium before they tear it down. I, you know, so there was, there were motivating factors like that. Um, for sure. But it was, it was a matter of going to countries that I'd never been to getting to cities that I'd never been to, but it was all driven by football. I, I looked at the league schedules and that's how I mapped out where I would go. I'm not motivated necessarily by seeing museums or big tourist attractions. Um, I did some of that on the side because it would seem silly to be in Milan and not see the last supper, things like that. So a little bit of, sightseeing and tourism on the side, but it was strictly based on football. So, you know, finding, oh, can I get to three or four week games in La Liga within a week? And where do I need to go? How do I make that happen? So that was that was the backbone of all of the travel that I did and dictated where I would be, when I would be there, what time my train would get in, what time I would catch a flight out. Um, and so it's nice because you have this built-in itinerary that is not yours necessarily, but you're you're kind of borrowing it. And that allowed me, that's how I linked everything up. That's great. I, I love the mentality there as well about you know, just making it happen, uh, as you say, and connecting with people anywhere in the world about football is that there is something special about that. It, I, remember, mm -hmm. um, a couple, <laughs> I remember a couple of occasions uh, we were in, uh, where was this? We were in Cambodia. And um, it actually felt really bad at the time because it was the day before. Um, they had a massive earthquake, I think. I don't know if it was Fukushima or if it was mm. the one before that. And they'd had this massive earthquake. And we happened to be sitting around eating some food with some Japanese people. Uh, you know, and, and we were just you know, just talking and I'm wearing my red in shirt because, you know, that's what you do when you travel. <laughs> wear, wear your colours with pride. And, um, you know, they yeah. noticed the logo, started naming Premier League teams, which was great. Uh. And we just started naming J-League teams back and everyone was laughing, smiling, having a yeah. beer. You know, and you know, enjoyed each other's company, and you know that that was good. And then yeah, in Brazil, uh, we went to watch Brazil play Mexico in well, a local park ran ran the corner from where we were staying, mm -hmm. and it, the game had finished. It was nil nil, not a great game. You know, the crowd was a bit, you know, dire. There's not not much of a party going on, and uh, these Brazilian guys got talking to us, and, and again. We're in our football colours. They started naming teams. We're starting to name Brazilian teams. Everyone's smiling and waving and drinking beers. So, <laughs> you know, I love that. I love that aspect. In terms of, in terms of travelling around, then that's awesome. But you're also quite lucky enough to use mostly air miles rather than paying for a lot of flights. I imagine that made a massive difference to the cost of your your travels. It did. Yeah, I um, had travelled quite a bit for work internationally um, and on my own, and and kind of tried to figure out how to do it the cheapest way possible. So, you know, I, I was in Europe for two months. So my flight there, my flight back, um, I was able to cover or pick up a cheap deal. Um, and then the same was true in the fall. So that made it very doable, but it, I also had the mentality of you're probably never going to be able to do this again. So just do it and figure out how to pay for it later, although I did, you know, I mostly stayed in youth hostels. Um, I had a year rail pass. So I, I was trying to do it as cheaply as possible because 
I, I knew that I could find work on the other side of it with um, the kind of job security that is built into my sector um, of geology and environmental consulting. So I didn't, you know, there wasn't a fear of the unknown necessarily on the other side. I knew I would probably be okay, which is a, an extreme privilege that I think it's important to acknowledge. Um, but that allowed me to sort of feel some freedom um, and not have to stress too much about what was going to happen on the other side financially. That helps. That yeah, yes. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> In terms of Europe, then, you say you've made a few trips across you know, Women's World Cup and you know, visited places like the San Siro, Stadio Olimpico, and New Camp. Any particular memories that stand out from your games in Europe? Um, well, my first game, of course, uh, which was actually in the championship, first game in England, that was uh, Fulham against Cardiff in 2017. So that one is is obviously very special. Um, I went with my friend who's a big Fulham fan. Um, so it was really nice uh, to finally be there and feel like, oh my God, I'm doing this thing that I never thought I would ever do and it's happening. And then our first uh, Premier League game was a few days later at um, London Olympic Stadium for West Ham. And even though, it, you know, it's not the bowling ground, but it um, it was still a special moment because it was it was my first Premier League game. Um, in that same week, we just happened to be in London. It was, so we got championship games, Premier League games. Uh, champ I got to two, cha two Champions League games and a Europa League game. And the Europa League game that we got to was um, Arsenal against FC Köln, which is when 20,000 Germans came over. Nice. <laughs> and um, took over London. So um, to be at that game in the context of what it meant for the Cologne fans for their first game in Europe and in decades, um, and kind of the indifference of Arsenal fans of being in the Europa League and selling their tickets. And, you know, the kickoff actually got delayed because the stewards didn't believe that Cologne fans have legitimate tickets, but Arsenal fans had sold their tickets to Cologne fans. So, you know, it was this whole um, people were texting, making sure we're okay. Like, oh, we heard it's crazy over there. And we're just like drinking beers with Germans, having a great time. <laughs> So it was my first experience of sometimes what happens in the news is not what's actually happening on the ground and things get sensationalized. And, um, you know, in the end it was all fine and Cologne lost that game, but they kept, they stayed behind for about 45 minutes and kept singing basically a song that just said, we played a game in the year in a European cup. And they were so excited about that. Um, and that's something that will stay with me forever because I, we were going to Germany a few days later and we're seeing Cologne play again, but at, Russia Dortmund and so um you know getting to games in Germany so quickly after I started traveling is really special and it, it's my favorite place to go to games kind of a, that I'll always return to um South America is really special as well but there's something about the Bundesliga that I just absolutely love yeah we'll jump onto South America in a bit mm -hmm. absolutely because uh, there's a couple of questions I've got I have to ask um my business yeah. partner's asked me to ask them uh, as well uh, so before we get on to that though in terms of in terms of finding tickets uh, especially for uk games now uh, take a premier yeah. league team a lot of mm -hmm. concept or you know misconceptions are that it's quite challenging to get tickets for premier league teams how did you go about finding and getting hold of tickets for teams such as arsenal yeah it's um a bit of a mixture a little bit of everything so that first trip um some teams you can just buy them straight from the website. Um, you just register for a free membership. Um, it's, there's nothing paid with it, but they want to know who you are and have an ID associated with you. So I think for um, 
a team like Watford or Southampton, I think that's how, you know, you just give them your, give them enough identifying information, but there's no cost associated with it. And you can buy directly. Um, other teams are slightly more complicated, but I have a friend whose brother has season tickets and their friend wasn't going to go to a game. So I got in that way. Um, I have bought third party a few times. I, I hate having to do that, but sometimes it's kind of the only way, especially in a country like, um, Spain, you know, some countries, that's just the way of life. Other countries like Germany, they, they're absolutely horrified by it. And you tell a German that you bought a third party ticket, they'll give you their contact information and tell you to let them know when you're coming back and they'll sort you out with a ticket. Um, but in the UK, it is, it is difficult. And one of the things that I did over the summer, um, when I realized that I was going to go back to England and, and try to get to as many of the stadiums that I wanted to visit but hadn't been to yet, um, I actually decided to buy memberships for certain teams because I knew it was kind of now or never. Um, so I bought memberships for certain clubs where there's really no other way to get a ticket, especially if you're an American and, and you don't have any connections. Um, so it was unfortunate to have to do that, but ultimately the price of doing that sometimes is even cheaper than buying a third-party ticket. Um, so those were the kinds of things that, you know, took a couple of years worth of, of researching over time and talking to people and knowing, no, this, this is just the way, if I want to do this and I want to do it legitimately, this is how I have to do it. And it, it's not ideal, but you know, it's, it's the way to go. So I had sorted most of that out over the summer. So I already had like my membership cards for certain clubs and tickets could get loaded onto them, which was nice because, um, I had flexibility while I was traveling in the fall. So if a, a game, you know, a Europa League game on a Wednesday got announced and I was already in town, I could be like, oh, I can go to that. I don't have to be anywhere else. I can alter my plans a little bit and have the flexibility to do it. So, um, yeah, it, it, it took a lot of research over many years and of just trying to plan these previous trips and sorting it out. Um, and then in South America, I actually decided to use a guide mostly because I'm, you know, a woman traveling alone. Um, and that's one thing if you're in England. Um, although I would argue that some of the environments I've been at in England are way more intimidating than those I've been to in places like South America. But, <laughs> um, you know, just because of the language barrier and things that can happen at games down there, I, I did make that decision to just hire someone else so that I, I wouldn't have to stress at all about the ticket or the legitimacy of it. That's 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 completely understandable. I was gonna come onto that actually. How does how does travelling around as well? I suppose it's very hypothetical. What I'm gonna say because I was gonna say how does travelling mm -hmm. around as a woman compared to travelling around as a man? But of course, I've yeah. not been a woman, and I'm sure you haven't been a man, yeah. so it's difficult. Uh, <laughs> you know. No, but I've had I've had conversations with people about this, um, especially when you're going to football games. Um, you know, there are a lot of women that travel internationally all the time, and and are brave and do things like go out at night and things like that. I, mine was limited strictly to football because that's all I could handle mentally. It's, it is exhausting, uh, being a woman every day anyway, but being <laughs> in a foreign country, um, it's even more exhausting mentally. And so even what I packed for my travels, it was all like neutral colored clothing to wear to games, things that wouldn't stand out. Uh, just trying to not bring any attention to myself. When I would go to games, I would, leave pretty early. I usually didn't drink anything because I didn't want to risk not having all of my wits about me. Um, I mean, I went to a kickoff at 9.30 at night in Spain. So 
you know, you're getting some late, later nights, much later than I am normally out when I'm traveling alone in these places. Um, constantly worried about logistics of getting home from the stadium, uh, if trains are running, where the closest train stop is, how long is the walk from the train stop to where I'm staying going to be. So it is, it is con- there's a constant undercurrent of fear and anxiety, but it, it, women just get used to that in life in general. But it's it's obviously amplified when you're in a foreign country. And then when I tell people, oh, by the way, I'm going to Roma against Juventus, the terror in their eyes of, oh God, so many bad things could happen to you is you know, something that I don't take lightly. But as I said, with my experience at that Arsenal Cologne game, I also don't believe everything that I read about um, things that happen at games or, you know, so I try to try to weigh everything um, and try to just be able to enjoy the game. But there, there are plenty of games where the last 20 minutes I've spent being like, should I leave now so that I beat the crowd? Should I, um, you know, take a taxi? Is that even safe? Um, So it's always, it's, it's constant, but my love for the sport and for going to these places and seeing these things is, is something that trumps that. You raised some great points there and in general, awesome travel advice is, but you know, not even not necessarily have to go to football to to um, to do these things. Like wear neutral, wear neutral colours. Or don't bring attention to yourself. Um, you know, keeping drinking down to a minimum. Or in your case, not drinking at all, so you can have your wits about you. Because I mean, they're, they're two fundamental things. And again, not just from a visiting a football match perspective, but just from a general mm-hmm. travel perspective. The amount of stories that you know we've heard. Alan and I over the over the years, and you hear people getting into all sorts of bother, um, you know, ourselves included to an extent. And then, <laughs> then you realise, well, hang on a minute, I drunk too much. And if I drunk too much, then I was probably making an ass out of myself. And then that's <laughs> happened. And, and same if you do, you know, how should we put it, extracurricular activities, especially mm-hmm. in Latin America. Uh, same, right. it's the same things. It's well, hang on a minute, did I take too much of that? what happened here, uh, you know, so I think you raised some really, really good basic travel points there um, as well. A, a, a random quick fire as, as we're on it. What's the best stadium mm-hmm. you've ever visited? Uh, La Bombonera in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where Boca Juniors play. Okay. Worst stadium? Oh, oh God, do I want to throw anyone uh, God, in? We hate Man United like on this podcast. <laughs> we hate Man United on this podcast. You say whatever oh, you want. Oh, I actually... I actually loved Old Trafford, oh, um, no. but St. James's Park was my favorite in the in the in England that I've been to. Worst stadium? Oh God, I've seen women's teams play in some pretty bad places. Uh, I'll say the Maryland Soccerplex, where the Washington Spirit have been been playing. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I have to Google that one myself. I can't say I'm overly. Don't don't waste the time. <laughs> uh, best set of fans. Ooh, uh, Flamengo. Okay. Uh, best stadium food you've had? Oh, Germany. Grilled Käse. Uh, it's grilled halloumi cheese. That was at Hanover. Oh, it does sound tasty. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's my dinner sorted. I'm going to have to get some cheese, I think. <laughs> it, in terms of Bundesliga, you've mentioned that it's your favourite football league. And uh, say, at the time of recording, the Bundesliga is just coming back. Uh, but by the time mm-hmm. the episode goes out, the Premier League's back, Serie A's back, everyone's enjoying their summer football, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But the Bundesliga has just come back. Why is the Bundesliga your favourite league? I spent um, probably 10 to 15 years, like most other Americans, really only having access to the Premier League 
um, and Champions League games. That was kind of the the main focus of the sport here because it's easily translatable. Um, and I, I love the Premier League. I love the the English game, but I've always been a bit contrarian. I kind of like to go against the grain a little bit. Um, so I, I never picked a club team or I never had a club team pick me either way. So I've been watching the sport um, for two decades without, <laughs> without a club team. Um, but I've always been a big fan of the U.S. national teams and the Bundesliga, um, you know, there's a, less money floating. There's still a lot of money, but there's less money floating around than some of the other big leagues. You get a lot more young players that get chances, um, and that includes some young American players on the men's side. So, um, you know, when I first went there in 2017, the goal was to see as many American players play in person as possible. Um, and that that was something that I took a lot of pride in to say, you know, I'm not just watching our national team games. I'm actually going, I'm able to learn about these teams in Germany and about these places in Germany through this, you know, this teenage, older teenage kid who's playing for Borussia Dortmund or playing for Schalke or, you know, a guy who's playing for Hamburg. So gave me a reason to go to these places. And, um, you know, there's just a different feeling there in terms of, how it feels in the stadium um, compared to England. I'm not, not saying either is good or bad. I'm just saying that Germany is is kind of my preferred of the two and the, and the league is predictable to some extent. Bayern Munich tends to always win, but that's not, that's not what it's about. I would argue that England is equally as predictable. It's just, there's a bigger, there's a handful of teams that always win, but you know, <laughs> unless you get a Leicester city, there's not going to be, um, huge surprises. So it, you know, it's all about the other teams and what's going on. And like I said, they're just a lot more, it's a selling league. So you get a, teams that are taking chances on players from a lot of different parts of the world that you don't see necessarily in the premier league, um, or in Spain or Italy. So, um, I also, I speak some mediocre German, so that helps. It's a, you know, it's a country that, um, I enjoy spending time in. So, um, it's great to have it back. It's certainly different without the fans, but I'm, I'm happy to be able to watch it, but I also feel a little, I still feel maybe it's too soon. I don't know. You know, it's kind of this moral, um, complex that everyone is having about football coming back right now. Yes. It's in, it's interesting that cause it's, you know, we've had, uh, you know, again, again with Premier League coming back on the 17th of, of June. Uh, it's yeah. I, I my, my challenge with it is that a lot of it, well, it, come, it comes down to money. That, that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. The, there's so much pressure yeah. on, you know, not necessarily the clubs, but there seems to be a lot of unnecessary pressure on the players. You know, and they're human beings too. It doesn't matter how much you earn a week. They're human beings as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, it's, it's Sky TV that I think are pulling, are pulling the strings because if the season wasn't, to go out, or if the rest of the season wasn't to go ahead, then you've got clubs that are facing, you know, really big bills. Then, as a mm-hmm. business owner myself, you look at it from the other side and go, "Well, mm, hang on a minute. Normally, in any business, you put a percentage of your revenues or your sales into sort of a rainy day fund. So, if something does happen, mm-hmm. you've then got enough to sort of subsidise yourself for three or four months. Which I don't think many right. people do that. <laughs> I've had some conversations with non-football people about the league's coming back and they've at, they're like, well, why don't, why haven't these clubs done that? 
Like, I don't have a good answer. <laughs> no, neither do I. And it's, you know, we sort, we sort of, as football fans, as, we, as you know, we get blinded by faith sometimes. And you have this mm-hmm. sort of irrational, you have these irrational conversations about, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And yeah, I just think from, you know, as, as my dad would say, football back in the 70s, completely different from what it is now. So, you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. more TV, a lot more money involved. It's more of a business. And fine, that's evolution of football. That is what it is. At the same time, a lot, I feel a lot, a lot, a lot of owners aren't treating it as, as well as they could do as a business because mm-hmm. of all everything that's gone on um i mean that being said the ownership model in germany is completely different i've never been to a bundesliga game i have been to see 1860 munich play at the allianz oh, okay. so mm-hmm. yeah that was the best experience there's one of the best experiences ever because we went it was me aaron my brother and our mate who so we went to munich in i don't know 2011 2012 and you just walk into the allianz and number one that's an impressive enough stadium as it is mm-hmm. and yeah, just first thing you do, you can go up to the bar and have a beer. It's like this is, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> this is great. Germans have got it spot on. They know what they're doing. <laughs> sure, do. it is. Um, oh gosh, I in the fall I um, went to an Everton game on a Saturday and then flew to the Netherlands and went to to Topper um, Eindhoven against Ajax on Sunday. And going from watching games in England to that game where Eindhoven fans are just pelting players taking corner kicks with beers was one of the most stark contrasts that it, I was just laughing like, oh, this is this is all of this is football summed up. <laughs> uh, it brings out the best and it brings out the worst in people, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they let at the NFL games in England, they let the fans have beer. Yeah, exactly. It, exactly. Uh, it been going to Wembley for quite a while, and yeah, you see, you grab go and see your team play or see whoever playing, grab a beer. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think it just goes back to that bonkers rivalry the, and yeah. the hooliganism, to be fair, that we we had in the 70s and 80s uh, didn't help. Mm-hmm. But um, I uh, I went to Wembley, um, Twenty. this was 2018. The US men were playing a friendly against England at Wembley. Um, I think it ended up being the, the Wayne Rooney testimonial game or whatever. They made it to sell tickets, but it was right after the last NFL game had been played at Wembley for the season. And I was talking to some of the stewards above my section and they, they were laughing so hard and they're like, you Americans are barbarians. You're just like spilling beer everywhere, pouring it all over. It's not even making it in your mouth. And it was some of the funniest that just to hear that perspective of people who are used to working events where no one's taking drinks to their seats and then having these NFL games come in and just being mortified. <laughs> that's so, that, that's so true. It's, um, I don't know if it's a conception that like everyone has, but we normally, and you know, apologies if this offends you, but we normally have this conception that Americans don't really know how to drink. You know, we always think, <laughs> you know, we're British, we're English, we do it best, we know what we're doing, yeah. you know, don't need to listen to anyone well, else. You, but. you also got it banned from football stadiums within view of the field, so. Touche, yeah, <laughs> too, touche. We're, we're not perfect, but um, you know, it amazed me being in, in the US how how good Americans can drink. I, yeah, loved it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. It was superb. But, um, moving on to South America then. Uh, so you've been to Europe. You saw some great games. You've seen Lionel Messi play. Oh, yeah. By the way, how did that feel actually finally? Because that was your number one thing. How did that feel to see him play and then score? <clears throat> it was... Um, so I ended up at the game where they clinched the league, where Barcelona clinched the league. And then... Uh, Three or four days later was at the first leg of the Champions League semifinal against Liverpool, um, where he scored twice. So 
you know, he scored the game winning goal. They won one, nothing when they won the league. And then obviously he scored that free kick in the first leg of the, the champions league semifinal and it watching him play is so it just is it's mind-blowing i mean he's so good and it i don't idolize players necessarily i mean i care about the american players but i don't i know better than to idolize any of them because they're just humans um so i don't idolize messi in any any way like that but i appreciate everything that he's done over his career and to finally be able to watch him in person just kind of pulling the strings but you know he doesn't do a lot of running he just kind of paces around and is always in the right place at the right time is always putting the ball in the right place at the right time and it i mean it was everything that i could have hoped for and more of course to see them clinch the league and and play in a, a champions league match so it was pretty special it it uh was not as special as my other bucket list item which was seeing serena williams play um but it was it was up there uh, that, yeah, that, that free kick against Liverpool in that Champions League game was divine. Oh, yeah, it really was. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it turned out how it did. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's, uh, I'll get into dual, supporting dual teams, which apparently is a big no-no. I don't know if that's, is that the same in America? Over here, it's a massive no-no. You support, normally you support like, you could support a mm-hmm. Premier League club or Championship club or whoever, and then you might support a non-league team. So, you know, who whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, supporting, especially when Reading made it into the Premier League, having Reading Liverpool, I was just getting abuse every week. <laughs> Deservedly oh, so. No, don't, no, don't you start. <laughs> not cool. But it does remind me of seeing, uh, we won't say this on the video because we're not videoing this, but I'm wearing a, a Sporting Lisbon shirt oh, at the moment. I remember excellent. being over there in oh, it was 2003 with a family holiday. And my stepdad was a Man United fan. And we knew that Portugal were hosting Euro 2004 mm-hmm. and Sporting were going to open their new stadium at that summer in 2003 and I thought oh this is alright and they're playing Man United I'm not a Man United fan by any stretch of the imagination I yeah I won't go down that route I've offended I've offended <laughs> the fans already too much uh, but I remember we queued for a while to get tickets we were back and forth and we, we played the English card we were like hey we've come over from Manchester yeah we hadn't but it's like we're here from Manchester you know we just want to watch the game so we actually got Given some tickets, which was which was awesome, and watching. I mean, number one, Man United got decimated. That was brilliant. That was, it was fantastic. <laughs> but there was this young lad on the wing uh, called Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I was just watching him, and my brother was watching it, and my stepdad was watching him. I was just like, it, 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 for I think I think he was seventeen at the time, might have been eighteen, and he was ridiculous. It was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all turned around to each other and we were like that that guy is probably going to be the best player in the world at some point um, I hadn't heard of Lionel Messi at the time so you know, mm-hmm. take what you want from that but um, yeah that's what I love you know right place right time again that wasn't planned uh, but, but yeah to see him in sporting, uh, play for Sporting Lisbon was um, yeah he absolutely rinsed Gary Neville it was fantastic oh yeah <laughs> uh, and not many people can say that they saw him play for sporting lisbon either no, exactly so I'll, I'll chalk that one i'll chalk that one up on my victory board mm-hmm. uh, you went to the world cup in russia as well mm-hmm. uh, i've yes. never been to russia uh, so I, I can't comment on what the people like i understand that the whole event was brilliant it was very fantastic but trying to take a, a female perspective of it um, how did mm-hmm. you find that? Were you, did you were getting were you getting a lot of random odd questions about why you were there? How, how was that experience in general? <laughs> I was, but it was mostly from English men. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whoops. Okay. 
they're very confused as to why an American woman would be in Russia at the World Cup. Um, so I had to answer that question a lot. Um, I didn't meet many Russians while I was there. I mostly the people working at the hostels where I was staying, that was kind of the extent of the Russians that I met. Um, everyone else was there kind of traveling for the tournament. So that was my first men's World Cup. Um, obviously, my team, the United States, was not in it, which I think I ended up benefiting from because had they been playing and had I been trying to go to their games, I would have been just a ball of nerves, <laughs> curl, wanting to curl up in bed the whole time and not go out and have fun. Um, but it, it was incredible. I, you know, I, it was 20 years after I had first watched the 1998 World Cup. Again, it was something I wasn't sure I would ever get to in my life. So to be there at all in the first place um, at a World Cup, regardless of where it was, was really special. But to get to go to a place like Russia, where I also never thought I would go, um, was an added bonus. And I remember when it they announced that Russia would be hosting um, that World Cup, I thought, oh, I'm never going to go there. That's too scary. I could, I could never go to Russia. And, it, and again, it comes down to per- perception versus reality. And, you know, people thought I was crazy for going there and for traveling by myself. I, I had planned my whole trip alone, but ended up after I had solidified my plans, finding out that some friends and people I knew would be at the same games or staying in the same places or on the same train. So I wasn't alone that much after I actually got there. Um, but I did get a lot of, a lot of questions about, you know, why are you here? Um, not asked in a, in a judgmental way, more in a curious way, but, you know, just having to ask people back, well, why are you here? (laughs) Kind of it clicking for them was that's frustrating. And it over time, I understand why people are asking it. Um, I just hope that someday we get to a point where women at football events are being asked that because that's something that continued through my travels this fall um, in Europe. Um, Notably, it did not in South America. That was a place where it was totally normal that someone like me would be going going to these events. Um, But it was really difficult for some English and European men to to sort of process. I actually got accused of being a spy um, (laughs) when I was going to the... um, Serbia versus Switzerland game in Kaliningrad. I was on a, on a bus to the stadium and a Swiss man found it so hard to believe that an American woman would be in Kaliningrad going to this game that, you know, he kind of, after I had talked to him and his friends a little bit, he kind of came over quietly and was like, so you're actually a spy, right? You're an intelligence agent. <laughs> and uh, man, Oh God, this is exhausting. <laughs> uh, I should, sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but that's, that's quite, that's quite funny. Well, and part of why, you know, the, it's it's hard to go through and it, it I tend to fume about it more as the days go on. I don't react in the moment, but part of why I'm so open with sharing my stories is that I hope it can work, build the groundwork to change perceptions of women at football matches. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, well, yeah, I would hope so. I, I agree with that. And you mentioned a, a key point there that the difference between European and South American football is that mm-hmm. it was well, in South America? They're they're bonkers. They are mental. Everyone. Oh yeah. It, it, <laughs> Women and children everywhere. Yeah, I, I, at the game. Yeah, it, it's it's mind boggling. And again, that's from a European perspective. You know, it's a lot of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll take that one step further. There's a lot of. Um, uh, again, I don't know if it's the rest of Europe. I can only really tell you more about England. But there's there's, there's always this. Mm-hmm. I would say there's a race route 
But if you mm-hmm. go to a bog standard, as you, as you would have done, you've been to many, many a, a games in Europe, and you kind of look at it, and you kind of look around the stadium, and, and most of the time, there's a lot of middle-aged white men, and that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So, but then, as I say, we'll, we'll touch on it, we'll go to South America, because you ended up there as well. You go to South America, and it's a free-for-all for everyone. It is fantastic. <laughs> It really is. I've never seen anything. I had never seen anything like it. I, my first game was Flamingo at the Maracanã. And of course, they were having this incredible season. They won the league. Uh, they made it to, they won the Copa Libertadores. So it, in the midst of all that, um, it's it's just this party atmosphere anyway. I don't know what it would have been like had they been having a, a bad season and not winning. Um, but everything from the street parties beforehand, which of course I was with a guide. So I felt, you know, I was like, oh, I actually get to go see this stuff. This is so cool. Um, Whereas normally I would have something I never would have tried to do on my own. Um, But it really did have a different feel from the get go. Um, And I went to a Fluminense game and a Vasco da Gama game also in Rio. And it was the same um, everywhere. But, you know, you do get some, where the difference is there is that, you know, the Brazilian women's national team itself doesn't necessarily get that much support. So it's, it's not all it, it seems to be, but for an in-stadium experience as a woman, that is probably the safest I've ever felt. <laughs> and, you know, it was my first game in South America and it was, that was not something that I expected, but, you know, I was surrounded by women who had gone with groups of other female friends, um, women with their husbands and kids, groups of men, you know, whereas normally it's just a group of three or four or six men that are going together. Um, You do in in Germany and the Netherlands, I've seen groups of women that seem to be going together just for the fun of it also, but it is, you know, it's just so much more noticeable um, in Brazil and and in Argentina as well. I got to a game in Uruguay in Montevideo, um, but it was, it was kind of a rescheduled rain out. So it was hard to draw any conclusions from the crowd other than of course, everyone had their yerba mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the most noticeable observation in it. There may have been some members of the Uruguayan mafia in the crowd, but um, yeah, Brazil and Argentina both were um, pretty great environments to go to as a woman and, and as someone who has traveled so much and seen so many games. For me to end my travels down there, it was really rewarding. It yeah, it's. For anyone that's listening to this that hasn't experienced South American football, uh, and you're ever in South America, go. It just yeah, you have to. <laughs> yeah, it, it's incredible. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. When people look at like top derbies to go and see in in the world, a lot of times Boca Juniors, River Plate, or River Plate Boca Juniors <laughs> is number one in the world. It's mm-hmm. it, even from watching some of them on TV. It's intense. It's hatred. It's <laughs> it's madness. Absolute pure madness. It's like Liverpool mm-hmm. Man United on absolute steroids. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> they say it makes the old firm look tame. I, I've heard the same. I've so. never been to old firm, but you know, I I, <laughs> I haven't either. I'd love to. I'd love to go. You mentioned that. Um, well, two things on this game. Number one, it was Copa Libertadores, so that's the South American equivalent mm-hmm. of Champions League. It was semi-final. Yeah, second leg. How did you get tickets? Was that through? <laughs> was that through a guide, or was that something completely different? Yeah, so it was a, a bit of luck or serendipity in that I was already going to be in Argentina that week, and I had um, I was using a guide service to go to three games already, and 
it just so ha so this was all unfolding while I was still in Europe. I was kind of keeping one eye on the Copa Libertadores, realizing, oh my God, Boca and River might end up playing each other and the games might get scheduled while I'm in Buenos Aires. Um, and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, so the guide service was able to offer um, myself and the, the other people that were part of this uh, guided kind of football trip um, tickets and, and guidance to the game and getting into it. So it was a no brainer. Um, that's something I never, I, I've said a lot of times that I never thought I would do these things, but that's one that I really didn't think would ever happen. A, a super classico, a couple of Bertadores semifinal, all of it was just kind of, I couldn't even believe it. And I, if, if anyone's familiar with global football events or the couple of Bertadores, um, you know, they, they had had to move the final between Boca and River out of Argentina the previous year because of uh, certain events. I'll, there are a lot of conspiracy theories and things like that, so people can look look up why on their own, but it was deemed uh, completely impossible for the game to even be played in the country of Argentina. Um, so the fact that the first leg of the Copa Libertadores semifinal had been played, and that the second leg was looking like it was going to go ahead, I... I refused to let myself believe I was even going to the game until the ball was the first ball was kicked until the opening whistle, because it just seemed like anything could go wrong here. I just hope I make it out unscathed and untear gassed. And maybe if I can grab a piece of the stadium, if, if, you know, riots break out, but um, it went ahead as planned. And that was a moment where I was, you know, a little anxious because it was a really big, um, tense sporting event but because Boca Juniors was down on aggregate it was it was not possibly as rabid as it may have been had they believed more that they could have won and that's something that our guides talked to us about but it was um the <laughs> that part of Buenos Aires that stadium all of it is just it's so bold and vivid and is a memory that I will cherish forever and I don't know if I will ever top that in footballing terms you know even if I make it to a Champions League final or something like that it's the history between those two teams, um, what had happened the previous year, it was all just so, so special to be there. And they, um, for people that aren't familiar with Argentina, they, for the big five teams of Buenos Aires, they don't even let visiting fans in because of crowd control issues. So I think it's been that way for um, five or 10 years, but um, you can't even go to, there's no away section. It's home fans only. And obviously they still have crowd control issues. So you know, it, that is just something that um, I kind of told my parents. I'm like, I'll check in with you guys after the game. <laughs> and, <laughs> but they knew, like, they knew the contact. They've heard me talk about it long enough that they were like, uh, we know that this is, you know, kind of a big deal. And I was like, yeah, just, you know, I'll let you know. Um, but it was, you know, nothing happened. River Plate ended up, you know, winning and, and advancing. Although Boca did score at the end. Um, so they won the game but lost on aggregate. But it was... Uh, really special to just be at a couple of Bertadores game, first of all, but everything else involved with that. It's, you know, I've come to appreciate South American football over the years. I think in part because it's so underappreciated in the United States, especially. Um, so to be able to go to that and to kind of raise awareness of it with other people in my life was really special too. Yeah. It's, it's a game that, or an area that's I think quite underappreciated in, in the UK as well and you know and, and people battle on about 
you know, the Premier League's the best league in the world, etc., etc. I, I, I normally question that anyway, because I prefer the Championship because the Championship in England mm-hmm. is, is mental. It's, yeah. you know, anyone could be anyone. It really doesn't matter if you're top, you're bottom, whether you're playing home, away, neutral venue. It's it's every mm-hmm. man for himself yeah. in the Championship. Uh, and we need also probably need to get off our pedestal about English Premier League, <laughs> but it's got the most money, yes. Doesn't yes, necessarily make it the best. <laughs> well, I think it's important to let people have their own preferences. I, you know, I get in a lot of arguments about the Bundesliga can't be the best league if Bayern Munich wins it every year. I didn't say it was the best. I said it's my favorite. So, so yeah, know, everyone, key difference. Yeah. In terms of the, in terms of the game, then La Bombonera, mm-hmm. River Plate, Boca. I mean, that that is the creme de la creme for, for a lot of people. That'll mm-hmm. be the creme de la creme of football. I mean, what? Just try and give, talk us through what what the noises were. What, yeah, what was the noise like? What? How passionate was it? What? What was going on? What was? Yeah, what was happening in the stadium? Yeah, getting um, in, there was a lot of just waiting in line. Um, kind of, you know, some riot police around, which you know I've seen at a game before. One amazing thing that they did was they let women and children go to the front of the line. God bless them. They <laughs> made all the men wait. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, all the women and children, you guys can come up. Um, and they just kind of check your document and, you know, basically just we want to have a visual of everyone and where you are. And um, But it's the the blue and yellow colors of Boca Juniors and La Bombonera in that stadium and where it is are so, I've said it before, but they're extremely vivid um, and lit up at night like that. And you get in there in the green of the field um, and it, it has a unique architecture, um, kind of has one flat side um, which is kind of the luxury suites behind probably bulletproof, soundproof glass, um, surrounded by curved other stands. But they they built it so that the away team locker room is under La Dose, which is the, the 12th man, which is um, kind of the most rabid part of the stadium. And then the Boca Juniors locker room sits underneath all of the like 50-year members of the club that tend to be older and, and more calm. And I have heard I, that they built they also built the stadium's purposely so that it shakes it kind of gets a wobble going when things really get ramped up so you know the the atmosphere was pretty like I said it was pretty tense they were down on aggregate going into the game they hadn't been playing well they lost the game that I went to on Friday that Friday night um, probably because they were so nervous and maybe resting players um, in advance of of the semifinal second leg so you know there didn't seem to be a lot of it's it's kind of that paradox of football fans where you know you're probably not going to pull it off but you still hope that it might happen um and as the game dragged on kind of nothing was going on nothing was going on and then Boca Juniors scored and it I it just I've never felt anything in the stadium like that where all you're like I am in a concrete box and it is wobbling <laughs> what is happening it's just so loud and the songs that they sing are, are so passionate and there were fireworks before the game and just confetti everywhere. They actually had to um, spend a significant amount of time blowing paper confetti with leaf blowers off of the field before they could even start (laughs) the game because the fans just kept releasing it, releasing it, releasing it. So there's this ground crew out there with leaf blowers and, you know, they blow it over one way and then it just, the wind picks up and it blows back all over the field and everyone's waiting like, Oh God, I hope they just start this game and actually play it. So, I mean, it, it was, intense but in a happy way for me um whereas 
another like for comparison, when I went to that Barcelona Liverpool uh, Champions League semifinal first leg, that game was so intense that I actually ha- I got a headache in the first half, and I didn't even have a rooting interest in the game. But my head was like, this is so this is insane. Like the amount of intensity that is happening right now is so wild. Um, whereas in South America, it, it was same, but it it just has a different feel down there. It's hard to explain. The, the Argentinians are a bit a bit. They seem to, they know the pain is coming. Um, whereas Brazil, <laughs> places like Brazil, it's much more jovial. You know, there's just a happier atmosphere. Um, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, I should say. I, I, my experiences are limited, so I could be based solely on those experiences. Um, but it, it was intense, but just I felt like I had accomplished something. And that actually was, funnily enough, my very last night of my trip in Argentina. My flight had been booked out for the next day. And you know, that game had just gotten scheduled in the last like two weeks. So it, that was the, <laughs> the last game that I went to, um, during my travels before I went back to the U S and got, got a job and, and started, started being a responsible adult again. <laughs> uh, boo, nothing, no, no, being a responsible adult. No, boo, boo. I, I, that, I mean, what a way to, what a way to end a trip. Um, you know, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. And one thing I'll point out, you know, you're talking about, Brazil there um I'll counter that slightly with uh, we were in Rio when they lost 7-1 against Germany Ooh, and yeah. it was quiet Ugh, I can't it, even imagine yeah I mean yeah the game was in Belo Horizonte but mm-hmm. it was you know it, it, was a, it was biblical because in in Rio at the time uh we would we were going to watch it on the beach and then we kind of checked the weather forecast we kind of had a look at what was going on outside and yeah, you know, being British, we're good at predicting weather patterns, mm-hmm. tongue in cheek. And we, <laughs> we we kind of looked at it and went, nah, probably not. I think we think it's gonna like hammer it down with rain. And and yeah, I mean they lost seven one, I kid you not, about a minute after the final whistle finished, it the heavens <laughs> opened and it smashed it down. And it's like <laughs> if that's not biblical, if that's not a sign. I know. I I'm, I'm a believer in that kind of <laughs> biblical sign. Uh, it, it was crazy, but I mean, even the following day, there was pockets of German fans celebrating, of course, mm-hmm. but the streets were dead. Yeah, it, it was like national. It was like a day of national mourning, mm-hmm. uh, which was which was a bit uh, was a bit strange. And um, uh, we found, uh, in fact, talking of Libertadores, we found a few weeks later a uh, similar thing. Actually, more more again, more of a quirk of fate. We, we weren't planning it. We were we happened to be in south of Brazil in Florianopolis and checked soccer way again and and done similar to you we're like oh check libertadores mm-hmm. so oh, it's semi-finals okay oh this team called national from paraguay oh they won two <laughs> nil okay so where do they play oh they play in the sunshine hmm. so we they went through everything and then i think mm-hmm. in the other semi-finals san lorenzo were playing bolivar i think and yeah. they, they'd won the first game five nil so they're probably mm-hmm. going to get through it's the Strange, yeah, good fans as well. Actually, we hung out with loads of them. Uh, but yeah, we looked for the seeding system, and we're like, well, okay, well, if National who won two 0 well, if they win, they're going to be at home in the first leg because of the way their seeding works. Mm-hmm. So you know, oh, we know it's you know the final is going to be in a sunshine on the sixth of August. So we kind of just beelined it to Paraguay from there, just in the hope that they would get through, uh, and mm-hmm. they did. I, I mean, that game at the uh, can't remember the name of the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or whatever the name of the stadium, Paraguay's National Stadium. Yeah. It, it, we had, there was a side full of San Lorenzo fans who had come up for the first leg. So they were singing and dancing away. And they had all the Nacional fans. And remember San Lorenzo went 1-0 up and, you know, the noise was pretty decent from the fans. They were singing, dancing, whatever. Uh, Nacional didn't do much. But 92 minutes mm-hmm. in, the goalkeeper boots it upfield. The midfielder, we think, headers it on. And uh, the striker... Uh, Santa Cruz, not Roque Santa Cruz, but I think a different mm-hmm. one. He kind of outmuscled the defender and he has just levered it right into the top corner out of nowhere. And the noise. <laughs> wow. It was, there was toilet roll flying everywhere. Everyone was mm-hmm. jumping up and down, you know, shirts off, spinning around. I even took my shirt off and started spinning it around. Everyone, <laughs> everyone was hugging and kissing each other. It, and it was just, it was almost like fever pitch. It was, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it was, I mean, just from memory, it was just just such a great experience. Oh, but, I would love love to get around the rest of South America to go to games. Yeah, well, it brings me on to my final question for you, which was, uh, yeah, really, what's what's next for you and your football <laughs> travels? Yeah, well, ideally, assuming things get back to normal, which who knows if they will, um, I would love to get uh, anywhere in South America, really, to go. Um, down there especially during a, a copa america or something like that but even getting getting into the nuances of the club teams and things like that like you experience is so is so special um as far as europe goes i would love to get back to spain and get get up to basque country um and also the the sevilla derby um there you know i there's a lot of very obvious choices for things to do and, and some of those are things I'm interested in. I'm not I'm not as interested in derbies as some people are. I'm I'm fine seeing a team play, you know, anyone just being there because again, it's I'm traveling by myself. I don't necessarily need to be in the most um, heightened, tense atmosphere as possible. It's nice sometimes to go to a game and just be able to relax a little bit. Mm. Uh, so that's that's not necessarily something I seek out if it's happening. Um, I'll obviously go um i'd love to get back to germany and see see my american players um but africa is is somewhere that i haven't gone to any games africa and asia i've traveled to both but have not been able to get to actual matches so i mean i'd I'd go to a game in antarctica if there was a team down there so pretty much anywhere but but certainly as a football fan and as someone who really takes the time to appreciate things outside of the obvious um outside of things like like the Premier League, and now that I've checked some things off my bucket list, you know, I'm looking for not necessarily more obscure things, but things that kind of connoisseurs of the game really appreciate. Um, so that's that's what I hope to do, kind of the next time that I can get out. But for now, I'm I'm in the United States, um, in Washington D.C. So D.C. United is here, and the Washington Spirit, the NWSL team, but they'll both be playing behind closed doors for the foreseeable future. Well, I'm, I'm sure uh, the the sporting connoisseurs that are listening uh, to this will uh, highly appreciate highly appreciate your comments. It's it's not always about the the most grandeur of games. Sometimes you can have a quality game in the middle of nowhere. You just mm-hmm. don't know who's going to turn up on the day. You mentioned you've got a few things off your bucket list. Mm-hmm. If you had one or two things, obviously you've got a new bucket list. So what's just an <laughs> idea of what's on what's on what's on your new bucket list? What sort of things are on there at the moment? Great question. Let me pull it up. Uh, Wimbledon was on there. I'm a big tennis fan. 
Um, and during this break, I was able to get to Roland Garros and to the U.S. Open. Um, let's see what. It, so I've Wimbledon and the Australian Open on there. Uh, a men's Champions League final because sure, why not? Uh, I did get to the women's Champions League final in Budapest last year, which was incredible. Um, getting to an Olympics someday to watch uh, the foot the football tournament in there. You know, for the women, obviously that's something that the U.S. is always competing for, but. For, for the men's side of it, it's such a different setup um, with the age kind of brackets that they use for that tournament that, you know, you get teams like in Nigeria that are all that are always doing well, um, to, like younger Brazilians. So interested in seeing that someday um, also. But as far as as far as footballing bucket list, um, yeah, like I said, a, a, a dream trip would probably be through um, Portugal, I'd love to get to Braga's stadium because I'm a geologist and it's kind of built in the quarry. Into the side of a mountain. Yeah. Yep. So kind of start there, get to some games in Portugal, go through Sevilla and then maybe down into Morocco and get to some games there. Nice. That, that sounds, that all sounds fantastic. Um, well, you know, I'll extend the offer if you're ever out this way. Are you, you know, next time you're in Europe, drop us an Instagram and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look to do something. It'd be awesome to have a, sure. have a go, go to a football game. Finally, you mentioned mm -hmm. a website that you. Oh no! So you mentioned um, for a lot of the South American trips that you book through guides. Is there a particular website that you use just in case people listen to this and they're thinking, "I want to do the same thing." Mm -hmm. Yeah, I use Home Fans, um, and so they guided my trips in both Argentina and in Brazil, um, and they were great. So they they took care of the tickets. They took care of kind of a game day experience. Meet up, get a meal beforehand, go to the pregame kind of festivities if you want. Um, but for someone like me, that was a perfect situation, a perfect service to have available just because it, it was exactly what I needed. It was nothing more than I needed. Um, it was nothing less and, and the guides were really knowledgeable. Um, and he, uh, as an American woman, I, I felt a lot of respect from them where they weren't trying to tell me things that I already knew. They quickly realized oh, you know a lot about this, and then just dug even deeper with things um, that, you know, about Rio or about Buenos Aires and, and places like that. So highly, highly recommend their services. Uh, is that homefans.com? Yes. Perfect. Yeah, it's uh, cool. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And yeah, try being an English football fan in Argentina. That's entertaining, <laughs> uh, to say the oh, least. Oh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> that's, that's a different story in itself. Uh, England Argentina 1998 was is one of the uh, most important games of my life. Watching that one. Um, oh, that website is homefans.net. Actually, sorry. Perfect. Homefans.net. No problem. Yes. Um, yes, but I, I can imagine. Mm, yeah, fun times. Uh, uh, perfect. If people wanted to follow you, people wanted to get hold of you, how do they do that? I have an Instagram account. Um, it's at soccer sabbatical one word um and sabbatical is spelled s-a-b-b-a-t-i-c-a-l that's one that i started um when i quit my job and for my travels i i had not been on instagram at the time um and i but i knew that what i was doing was going to be pretty unique and that it might be a way you know to connect with people while i traveled or at least to share so my family would know that i was alive and made it <laughs> to my next destination um, so that's where, you know, I'm still posting content from past trips and, and plenty of plenty of Bundesliga content, stuff like that. Perfect stuff. Well, Jessica, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours and hours oh, yeah. and hours <laughs> and hours uh, about football. Um, um, yeah, hey, we might, you know, 
maybe even do a look to do some sort of football mini series in a few years time sure. I, I don't know we'll <laughs> we'll find out but um but thank you for your time any final words of wisdom for people that are listening that are thinking about football or, tra- or travel in general um i guess i would say it's it's not just about england um that is the easiest place to get to a game it's kind of the inter- for americans especially um that's what i mean when i say easiest it's, it's not necessarily the easiest for getting tickets and things like that but in terms of destinations to go to to watch football if you're if you're a native english speaker um but i would recommend getting getting out there if you're going to go all the way over there hop over to europe get to a game in the netherlands or germany spain italy um there's a lot more to the world than the premier league i can't stress that enough um there's and there, there's a lot that you are doing a disservice to yourself if you're if you're not paying attention to but i also understand that people's capacities are limited um for following sports so so i get it but um certainly i would stress uh the the benefit of getting to games outside of england uh, completely agree with that it's uh, good to uh, broaden the horizons that's the joy of sport travel in general in in mm-hmm. all fairness well uh, yeah jessica i hopefully catch it a game uh, in due course yeah i hope so all the best all right bye